Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be. You can find Acts 16 if you need a Bible. Looks like Krista's handing some out. Thank you, Krista. And Krista's probably going to do the thing that I tell all of our volunteers to do, and she's just going to hand you a Bible whether or not you ask for one. So don't be rude and refuse a gift. Just take it and open it. And if it's white or blue, like the one I have up here that we gave you, it's page 539. Yes. Acts chapter 16. We're actually going to start uh, a little bit halfway through. We're going to start in verse 16, but we will be there in just a second. Uh, I'm going to give us a little bit of a lead in. Uh, because if you didn't know, we've been working our way through the book of Acts. It's kind of how we roll at this church. Uh, we try to, as much as possible, go through passages of Scripture, books of the Bible. So we've been working through Acts uh, for a couple months now. And we've watched kind of as Acts began and Jesus rose from the dead and his followers began living according to this idea that God has freely extended grace and kindness and salvation to them through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And as that community of Jesus followers began to build and to grow, uh, we got to this weird turning point in the story at the end of Acts chapter 12. So about four chapters ago, at the very end of the chapter, there's this weird story about a guy, and we talked about it at the time when we were going through, but this guy was all about himself. He was completely motivated by self. He only cared about himself and what was good for himself. And so we called it self-magnification at the time. And the things that he did, it ended up destroying his life. And in fact, the whole entirety of the story finishes in Acts chapter 12 because the self-motivated life is a short story. I mean, that's nothing new. Like, it's easy to be motivated by self. That's your natural disposition as a human, is to be only motivated by yourself. And so, at the Acts chapter 13 starts, and as Acts chapter 13 starts, we just saw this guy who was completely motivated by self. And then Acts chapter 13, it's Paul and Silas and Barnabas, and they're in a prayer meeting. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, hey, set apart Paul and Barnabas for a work I want to do. And so these guys are motivated not by self, but by the Spirit of God. And so there's this contrast at this point in Acts chapter 12, this kind of turning point of the story. And on one side, we have motivation by self. And on the other side, we have leading of the Spirit. And there are two different paths that you could choose. And we've been following what it looks like then to be led by the Spirit. We've been following what it looks like to be motivated not by self, but by God magnification, by, by how do I make much of God. And so I really like the imagery that Stephen brought up last week. Stephen started Acts chapter 16 last week. I was in here, and he used this imagery of an invitation. Now, now, there's a lot of different words for how God works in our lives and how he interacts with us, but an invitation is one that I really liked as I was listening to the message online. Um, because an invitation infers that the value is placed in the one who is doing the inviting, right? Uh, an invitation is only as valuable as the person making the invitation. Here's what I mean. When I was a kid, this is going to blow your minds, there were not cell phones, okay? So Friday night on, when I was in high school was way harder than it is now because what would happen is, as school is ending, you're kind of talking to your friends, like, what are we doing? Are we doing this? Are we doing that? Are we going there? Like, you're trying to figure out what the plan is for Friday night. And we'd leave school on Friday, and everybody would say, like, I'll call you. 
And what they meant when they said, I call you, is not like, I'm going to call your cell phone wherever you are. We didn't have cell phones. We had these things attached to the wall in our houses called home phones, right? And so they actually had a string attached to the wall. You couldn't go outside with it, right? Unless you were one of those rich families that had a cordless phone. But anyway, I digress. So I would sit there right about four, five, six in the evening on Friday night, and you're sitting by the home phone, and you're waiting for it to ring for one of your friends to call you and invite you to whatever is going on that night. But there was this weird thing that would happen, right? Because you want to do the coolest thing that you can possibly do with the coolest people that you could possibly do. So the first phone call comes, and this person invites you to something, and you have to make this like risk-reward judgment. Like, is this cool enough? Is there going to be a cooler phone call later? Like, do I want to spend my Friday night doing this? Like, I don't know. We're going here. Because once you leave the home phone, you can't figure out anything else. Nobody can get a hold of you. Like, if you leave the home phone, you will not be invited to anything cooler. So it's just like, once you commit, you're all in. And there was always like this, oh, weird thing. And so why I say that is because in high school, and actually probably more for the rest of your life than we'd like to admit, being cool really matters. And the person making the invitation was like all that matters. Right? So when you're a 15-year-old boy and the phone rings and it's like, hey, like six of us are going to see the newest movie that's out. Right? And that's one invitation. And then the other invitation is your dream girl, who's like the prettiest girl in school. And she's like, I don't really know what we're going to do, but we can just go for a walk. You're going with the dream girl every time. Because the one making the invite matters. The value that you place on that person matters. Even if it's a really cool opportunity, it's the coolest movie out. But when you're a 15-year-old boy, like basically the value that they place on girls they think are pretty is insurmountable. And so many of us are exposed by the low value that we place on God because of our indifference to his invitations. And so many times we do this thing where where we don't think of it as an invitation. We think of it as right or wrong. I don't feel like God's telling me to do that. And that's often how we come to God. God, do I have to do this? Are you making me do this? And, and I, I really feel like very often the Holy Spirit is not making you do anything. He's inviting you to something. And, and the low value that you place on God is exposed because you're sitting there listening to his invitation. You're like, mm, I don't know, maybe something better is going to come along. I don't know if I'm going to commit to that right now because, you know, I might have something better that comes up that I want to do more. And the reality of an invitation, as as, as Stephen called it last week, the imagery is of this incredible God. And and, and the truth is, if that God, if you really understand who that God is, it doesn't matter what he invites you to. It's worth it. it. It doesn't matter what he's calling you to. And he's not forcing you to any of this. Right? He's putting things in your way that he's inviting you into. He's like, hey, you want to do this? You want to come this way? You want to serve here? You want to be a part of this? You want to see what I can do in this? It's just an invitation. And and here's what I know. What we see in Acts chapter 16 is people who are accepting his invitation. The, the, The Spirit of God has accepted the invitation, has extended the invitation to him, and they have accepted it. They have said, yeah, I'm in. 
I'm in. And, and here's the question we need to ask ourselves as we're reading through the rest of this chapter and seeing what it looks like for these men as they accept the invitation of God. Have I made a habit of accepting the invitation of God? Because that's, I, I'm, I'm telling you, as a pastor, sometimes I don't accept the invitation as often as I, sh- as I should. Right? You're sitting in there and you're like, I should probably talk to that person. And it, the Holy Spirit's like, hey, you want to you come? You want to come see what I can do? Just talk to that person. Eh, I just kind of want to look at ESPN a little bit longer. Hey, hey, you want to you serve in this place? Uh, I don't know. It would probably be hard to get the kids all ready and get them in the car seat. That eh, seems like a lot. And, and, and over and over, I feel like there's this invitation. And I don't say this to put a burden and a pressure on you because invitations are not meant to be burdensome. Right? Like that's what Jesus said. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's just inviting you to stuff. Hey, hey, you want to be part? No pressure. And if you remember from last week, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy and the author of the book, Luke, are now traveling through uh, what is uh, in olden times Asia. It would be modern day Turkey. And they're on this missionary journey. And Paul receives a vision. And the vision of a, is a, of a man in Macedonia. Macedonia is on the other side of the sea there. So the first kind of area you would come to if you were going up north from Israel. You'd end up in Turkey, and then you'd go across the sea there, and that would be Europe, right? Kind of southern Europe. That would be the Macedonia area at the time. And so they received, Paul received a vision, said, hey, come help us. And so they were like, all right, let's go. And so they went to the biggest city in Macedonia was a city named Philippi. That should ring a bell because there's a book in your Bible called Philippians, right? It's a letter that Paul would later write back to this church that was begun in the city of Philippi. And so as they get there, they uh, can't figure out, like, oh, who should we talk to? So they go to this place of prayer. There was a Jewish tradition that if there weren't 10 men in a city to have a synagogue, uh, then they would gather by a body of water. So there's a river near Philippi. Near that body of water, there is a Jewish prayer meeting on the Sabbath day. So they go there, and they find a bunch of women. They preach the gospel to them, and one of them, Lydia, who is a very successful businesswoman, homeowner, which is a big deal, uh, ends up believing the gospel, repenting, transforming her life, and following Jesus, and then insists that these four men, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, stay with her while they're in Philippi. So Lydia is a seller of purple, purple, that's Harder than I thought to say, apparently. Uh, Purple, which was a big deal in those days because royalty and rich people wore that color. And so she was probably like culturally significant, probably selling to these like high and mighty people in the industry, in the culture, uh, probably is doing pretty well for herself. And enough that four men can live at her house and it wasn't putting her out. And so They're in this very comfortable situation at the end of verse 15, living in Lydia's house, staying there, and then we pick it up in verse 16. So here we go, Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 16. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, so this is, again, Luke is writing the book, so that's why he says we, and then we have Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. 
And this she kept doing for many days. But Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So these guys are staying in Philippi, traveling from Lydia's house to the place of prayer by the river. And every time they walk through the town, this demon-possessed girl follows them, screaming, These men are from God! They've come to show you the way of salvation! Now, after a while, Paul gets very annoyed at this. Which is weird, because she seems to be helping. <laughs> what she's saying is actually true. But Paul gets very annoyed and turns around and rebukes this girl and, and in the process casts out a demon out of her. And it's probably like he stops this advertisement that's been happening every time they come through town. He's so annoyed by it. And, and I think of this situation, I'm like, Paul, why would you do this? Like she's helping. But it's probably good to think of this situation in terms of means and ends. You know what means and ends are? Ends are the results of a situation, right? Ends are where you end up. Ends are how you, the destination, right? Means are how you get to the destination, how you get where you're going, how you go about doing the results you are expecting. And we all know that God cares about the ends. We all know that God cares about where you end up. But God also cares about the means. He cares about how you get where you're going. He, he cares about how you're doing the things that you're doing. And, and I say that because so many times it's easy in our minds to go like, well, it all ended up okay. We're, we're doing all right at the end of the day. We figured it out. And the Holy Spirit's invitation is actually much more than that. It's, it's much more about the process. It's much more about the means. And, and it's a temptation of ours to let the ends justify the means, right? We ended up okay, so however we got there, it's fine. And yet the Holy Spirit cares very much about how you get to where you are going. It does matter what you're doing in the process. And the Spirit of God in Paul does not need greedy self-motivated, demon-influenced means to reach his ends. You see that? He doesn't, he doesn't need help advertising from demons, from, from self-motivated people, from, from greedy men. And, and I think sometimes we get twisted in that. It's like, oh, whatever we can do to get where we want to go. No, not whatever we can do. Like, whatever God is leading us to do. God's not up in heaven like, oh, I wonder how I'm going to get my message out to these people. Do you think there's any demons that will help me? God doesn't need demonic help. Not, God does not need worldly help. God does not need your selfish motivation to further his purposes. Another thing that we read in this passage that is a little bit startling is that Saying the truth apart from the Spirit of God is possible. Have you ever thought about that before? Right? It's important for us to know because the Bible tells us that what we are to do is to test everything in our lives. And the test that we're supposed to kind of filter everything through is not, does it work? 
That's not the test. Lots of people think that's the test. Does it work? If it works, it's from God. No, that's not the test. The test is not, does it work? The test is not, is it comfortable for me? Right? Lots of people think that's the test. That's not the test. The test is not, does it help me? The test is not, is it true? The test is, is this from the Spirit of God? That's the test. It says, test everything. Is this from the Spirit of God? Because here's what the Bible teaches. You could be right and not in line with the Spirit of God. Let that sink in for one second. You can be right and not in line with the Spirit of God. The things that you are saying can be correct and still not be from God. There's a lot of justification going on in our world right now. And everybody is saying they are right on this issue and that issue and this divisive thing and that take, right? Everybody's got an opinion and everybody's saying how right they are. And yet both sides are not being led by the Spirit of God. I don't care how right you think you are or how correct the information you think you're dispensing is. It's not from the Spirit of God. Like, so many people are saying, and that's low-hanging fruit, right? You can go to politics, you can go to cultural things, you can talk about schools, you can talk about all these things that's dividing people right now. You can be like, hey, both sides think they're right, and neither one is actually being motivated by the Spirit of God. That's low-hanging fruit. That's easy. Let's take it a step further. How about in your marriage? You know, you can be right when you talk to your wife and still not be led by the Spirit of God. How about when you talk to your kids? You could be correct in the information you are thinking or saying to your children and have nothing to do with God. How about in the way you handle your work situation or your finances? Right? It's possible to have a justification in truth, and yet God's like, you're not led by my spirit. Paul turns around and rebukes this demon because not only does God care about the means to the ends, but he cares not only that what you're saying is true, but that it's of the Spirit of God. And, and look at what happens in verse 19. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him into the marketplace, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks." So the owners of this demon-possessed girl, who apparently was a slave, are very upset. They take Paul and Silas to the legal authorities, and the authorities have them beaten with rods. So these are rods. uh, It's probably like, I don't know what you think rods are in your mind. When I think of rods, I think of like thin little things. These are not thin little things. Right? Archaeologists tell us this is one to two inch diameter, uh, probably about six feet long sticks. Right? And feel your back right now. You feel the little nubby things on your back? Very often when you were beaten with rods, those things would break off. And so you'd never stand upright again. 
That's why many traditions have Paul being hunched over. Right? It's because the, the idea is he probably didn't stand upright for a while, ever, after being beaten with rods as many times as he was. And so it's like the same thickness as like the handle of a baseball bat, maybe a little thicker. Or even, uh, you know, the curtain rod. What do you call it? Not curtain rod. Like in your closet that you hang your clothes on. It's like that big thing. Right? Imagine getting beaten in the back with one of those. Right? No trial. No, like, hey, let's examine the evidence. No innocent until proven guilty. It's like, hey, these guys bothered us. Ah, beat them. And then they throw them in prison. And then they're not only put in prison, but they're put in the inner prison, right? So this is like high security, max security, isolation type of a thing. In the very middle of the prison was the inner prison. In the very middle, because it was the highest security. And then they're put in stocks. So they can't move and are not free. So we ended verse 15 last week with the apostles in a very comfortable situation, living in a large house with a very wealthy woman, culturally relevant. And we end verse 24 this week with the apostles in the most uncomfortable situation imaginable. That's probably a a, a vast understatement, right? They're in prison. They've just been beaten. They may never stand upright again because of it. They're in stocks in a high security prison. And what I want you to see is that it's very common for the invitation of God not to look like you think it's going to look. I don't want to sugarcoat anything for you. I started this message with the idea that the invitation of the Holy Spirit was this thing that you should probably examine your life and say yes to. But I'm also fully admitting that when you say yes to it, there's a very high probability it's not going to look like you think it should look. Like, yeah, I'm going to say yes to the invitation. And if you're Paul or Silas in here, like, what the heck, God? Like, you sent us a vision for this? Come help us. And then you're like sitting in prison, beaten with rods. Like, this is the help you needed, God? Really? God's going to use their situation in an incredible way next week as we continue through Acts 16. But I don't want to further ahead to that. Right? Because it's so easy for a pastor to just get up here and say, it's all going to work out in the end. Sorry it sucks right now. But it's going to be better someday. Just grab a coffee cup with a Bible verse on it. That'll make you feel better. What if it didn't work out? What if you came to church in that moment where you're like, God, why is this hurting so bad? Why is this taking so long? Why is this so difficult? I wish I had a really easy answer for you. I wish I had a, it'll all work out, buddy. Slap you on the back. Keep your chin up, champ. And yet life just doesn't work that way because we live in a world that is broken by sin. And here's what I do know about the invitation of God. It's sometimes it's really comfortable. Sometimes it works out way better than you ever could have imagined or dreamed. Sometimes you end up living with a Lydia in a giant house in a very comfortable situation and you're like, wow, God. Has anybody ever experienced that? You said yes to God and it ended up way better than you thought. There's me and Sam. All right. There's, there's a bunch of you. You just are scared to raise your hands. You know, we're all going to judge you. No, we're not. Right? Other times, it takes way longer than you thought it would. 
it's way more difficult than you thought it would be. It hurts more than you thought it would. And I'm not, I'm very intentional about the words I'm choosing right now. It's not worse than you thought it'd be. It always ends up better than you thought it'd be, but sometimes it's harder. You realize that those two things, like, they, they can coexist. It can be harder and better at the same time. Not if you understand that. It can be more difficult, take longer, be more painful, and be better than you ever thought it could be when you accept the invitation of the Holy Spirit. And that's what they're experiencing right now. Right? There's, there's, there's more to the story, but I don't, I don't want to skip ahead to the, hey, it's all fairy dust and sunshine and smiles, because there's people in this city, probably in this room, who walked in this morning, and like, Jared, this is really hard. Jared, this is really difficult. This is really painful. And, and sometimes we go through the holiday season especially, and we're like, turkey, sweet potato pie, you know, stuffing. Does anybody sweet potato pie? Am I the only one? Some of you are pumpkin pie. You guys, you don't know what you're missing. But anyway, right, you know, we eat the candies and we eat presents. And, like, there's people who are really hurting through this season, and it's really hard for because we in America have made a mess of our families and our marriages and our relationships, and we got all this drama and baggage, and it all gets drudged back up during the holidays. I get it, man. And I am telling you, the invitation of God very often will look way different than you expect it to. Maybe will take way longer than you had hoped it would. Will maybe be way more difficult than you thought it would at the beginning. And yet somehow we'll still end up better than you ever imagined. And there's a bunch of things in this story that don't look at anything like Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke probably thought they would look. Right? Paul got a vision of a man in Macedonia. They showed up. Who gets saved? A woman, Lydia. And in fact, so far in this story, we've only gone through the chapter, right? But we have Lydia and then we have a demon-possessed slave girl, right? So no men yet. In the story, uh, they've been arrested, beaten, imprisoned, tortured. This is probably not how they saw these things going. And there's a good chance they at least had the thought of, God, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me right now? So I guess this is a good time to ask the question. If the Holy Spirit is inviting you into something, if this is a story of men who have accepted the invitation of God, what is God inviting you into? Because you're like, Jared, if you're trying to grow your church, you're telling me the Holy Spirit's inviting me, and you read a story about a guy who gets beaten and thrown in prison. Like, not a great church growth strategy. Right? Like, if this is what God's inviting me into, I'm out. Thanks, though. What is it that God is inviting you into? What is it that the Holy Spirit is inviting you into? to do. He's not inviting us to comfort. He's not inviting us to ease. He's not inviting us to a stress-free life. So what is he inviting us to? I've said this before, and I will continue to say it because it's what the Bible teaches. God only does things for one reason. He only hunts one reason, one motivation for everything he does. He desires that you would know him through relationship. 
That's why he does everything he's done. It's why he wrote his word. It's why he sent his son. It's why he died on the cross. It's why he invites us into a life that he leads. And relationship is a function of both information and experience. Okay, you can't have a relationship with God, which is what he is inviting you into, without information and experience. And so many people, especially in America, especially in the church, think that correct information is what God desires of us. Know the right things, people. That's, that's not God's primary hope for your life. Just believing the right things without experience does not produce relationship with him. Just, just knowing the right information in your brain without walking with him through experiences is not what he's looking for. Uh, I was out of town last week. I said this with my family. Uh, we were with 25 people of my wife's family in a house uh, doing Thanksgiving. And it was great. We were laughing. We were talking. We were telling stories. We were remembering cool old things. And, and it was awesome. And it wasn't the recollection of information that made the time great. It was the remembering of experiences. Right? We're, we're telling all these stories. We're like, hey, remember that time when we tried to get all the kids on a sled and the sled rolled and all the kids were crying? That was actually hilarious. Right? Or the, the time that me and my brother-in-law got ski tickets to the resort and it ended up being gay ski week. And we're like, oh. It was like this awkward thing. Right? Or like the time that we were like running from the wave at La Jolla and it came up over the seawall and everybody got like, those were the experience. Those were the things that made us laugh. And then we'd look at pictures and be like, oh, remember how little our kids were? Remember the cute things they used to say? Over and over and over and over. It was the experiences that we celebrated. It was the experiences that grew the relationships that caused us to laugh and to cry and have great memories with our family. And the same thing is what God is calling us into. The same thing is what God is inviting us into. This is what the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart right now. This is what you are being offered. A life lived with God. A life that is both harder and better than you expect. A life that is grounded in truth, built on experience, and defined by relationship with God. I'm going to finish here in verse 16 with Paul and Silas in prison, in stocks, having just been beaten with rods. And, and here's my thought as I close. I was reading this account with my nieces this week, getting ready for this. And I was like, do you think Paul prayed for this trip? Like, before he went out on this missionary journey, do you think he prayed? I hope that he did, but I wonder what he prayed for. Because I've been around this Christian thing for a while now, and I know the types of things that we usually pray for when we go somewhere or we go on a trip. What do we usually pray for? Keep us safe, right? Traveling mercies, whatever those are, right? <laughs> you know? Make us productive, make us effective, keep everybody not sick, right? These are the types of things we pray for. Make it easy and comfortable on us is basically what we're saying, but we know that if we said that out loud, that would sound really stupid. So we use other ways of saying, like, make this as easy as possible on us, God. Are any of those prayers getting answered for Paul right now and Silas? 
as they sit in the inner prison. None of those prayers seem to be being answered at this moment. And if the Apostle Paul can't get his prayers answered, like what hope do the rest of us have, right? Like if God's not listening to him, like I'm like, God, please give us a building. And God's like, I didn't even answer Paul's prayers. Good luck. Take a hike, right? So if, if Paul doesn't get his prayers answered, like what is it? that we should be praying for? What is the point of prayer if it's not to get the things we want done in the way that we want them done? Well, let's circle back. Here's how prayer fits into this idea of an invitation. The Spirit of God is inviting you into experience that will build relationship with Him. And I promise, there's things in your life right now that the Spirit of God is inviting you into. And He's waiting for you to respond. There is no one who's exempt from this. There is every single person in this room, whether you're 10 years old or 100, the Spirit of God is inviting you into something. I promise. There's something you're being invited into. And it will build relationship. And when you feel that tug on your heart, when you are presented with that opportunity and you submit your will to God's, you say yes to that invitation and you pray, Holy Spirit, use my life. Lead my life. Lead my week. Lead my holiday season. Lead my time at work. Lead my relationships at school. Lead my marriage. Lead my time volunteering. Lead my time serving others. Lead me in the way that you see fit. See, prayer then becomes not us requesting of God something that we desire. Prayer is the first step in the accepting of an invitation of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see Paul and Barnabas living out. These things are building relationship with God. They're hard. They're painful. They don't always look like we think they should look. And yet Paul and Barnabas are going to start the next section when we come next week praying. God, we accept your invitation. God, we're saying yes. We're submitting our will to yours. Lead us. Use us. May we partner with you in what you're doing. And sometimes it's going to be much more difficult than you're ready for. But it will always build relationship with God and we will always be better than you think it could be. And it all starts with accepting that invitation. I pray that there's people in this room right now who realize that the Holy Spirit's inviting them into something this morning. And maybe as we sing this last song, we're kind of praying through these ideas and kind of responding to scripture. We go, you know what? I... I haven't said yes to very many invitations in a while. Or maybe I used to say yes a lot, and then I got kids and a job and a wife and things got complicated, and I've stopped saying yes. Or maybe I just got comfortable in saying yes to the same things, and there's these other things that God's been calling me to and inviting me to in a while, and I've been like, ah, I'm good with my same eight things that I've said yes to. I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I know that there's an invitation into a life that is way better than you expect, gives more joy than you never dream, and may not look anything like you think it should look. It might be harder and better. But that's the God we serve. And that's why we sing. You realize that? Like we do this song at the end. I, we, it's not like we're like, hey, we don't know what to do at the end. How do we finish this? Let's sing a song. 
Like, we do a song at the end so you can process the information that God has put on your heart. You can respond to the word of God. Right? You can allow the spirit to lead you. And if there's something that you need to work out with God, right? I know it's only four minutes or however long our song is, but this is that time. Right? Hey, God, I got up. I got dressed. I made it to church. I heard your word. What are you calling me to? What are you inviting me to? What's the condition of my heart? Today might be your Acts chapter 12. There might be people in this room who have an Acts chapter 12. I was all self-motivated, and it changed direction, and I accepted the invitation. I hope that happens for somebody in here today. Worship, come on up. Let's uh, finish with this song, and I'll pray. Lord, I don't know what you're calling every single person in this room to, um, but the good news is I don't need to know. You know, uh, and your spirit is inviting uh, every single person in this room into something. Maybe it's uh, to be encouraged in the direction they're already going. Uh, maybe it's to re be rebuked because they're going in a direction they shouldn't be going. Maybe it's to step out in faith into uh, a new thing. Uh, I don't know what you're calling every single person in here to, Lord, but if they're in that spot where Paul and Silas are, Lord, and it's harder than they thought it would be, I pray you'd encourage them. If it's taken longer than they thought it would, I pray you'd lift up their spirits. If they're in a moment of pain, Lord, and it hurts more than they ever thought it would, Lord, I pray you'd give them hope. Lord, if they realize they haven't said yes to your invitation in a long time because they're only worried about themselves or their comfort, Lord, I pray that would be made clear to us, Lord. I pray that you would do your work through your word in your people this morning, Lord. And Jesus, lead us right now, Lord, as we respond to what we've heard. May your spirit be here. We ask you in your precious name.